0: From the novels of Philip K. Dick to movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still and Ex Machina, pop culture has long led many to believe, including my co-host, the machines are on the precipice of taking over the world.
1: On the precipice? I think they've already taken over, Laura. I mean, I hope you have like a fallout shelter in your yard or at least a panda room in your house with some canned fruit because according to a recent report by the Brookings Institution, one quarter, 25% of the jobs in this country are at high risk of automation.
0: In the coming years, we will see automation replace an increasing amount of workers, but we will also see advancements in machine learning that will benefit workers in many industries, including finance.
1: Yeah, and that's already happening too many financial institutions are using machine learning effectively to enhance their risk and compliance efforts.
0: To learn more about this, we spoke to someone who's an expert at using AI to help process data written in different languages. And he told us,
2: what can AI do? It can help bring KYC process
1: into the 21st century. I'm Andy Goldstein.
0: I'm Laura Sewell. And you're listening to FinTech Focus from CSI.
1: Here to educate us on AI and illustrate how it can be used to mitigate risk is Steve Cohen, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Basis Technology, a company he co-founded in 1995. Basis specializes in using AI to help understand and translate documents and unstructured data written in different languages. Welcome to FinTech Focus, Steve. It's great to have you on and uh, I'm excited to nerd out with you. Laura and I, we've been looking forward to this. Rock on. And thanks so much, Andy, it's, and it's great to be here. We wanted to start off the conversation by asking you to define artificial intelligence and machine learning, because it seems to us in our research that a big misconception out there is that AI and machine learning are interchangeable terms. Is that true or false?
2: Uh, I don't know if it's a misconception. There's, I, I will give you a more precise view of it, Perfect. but to be honest, we often use them interchangeably. Uh, ultimately, the the goal is for people to understand the sort of the broad type of technology and the distinction I'm going to describe probably doesn't matter a whole lot to most people. Uh, the way we view it is machine learning is a, te- set a suite of techniques, which I, I can describe more later. A suite of techniques to enable computers to. Implement decision making processes artificial intelligence to us is when you take those tools generally machine learning, but there can be others take tools that let you have the computer choose or just or find information or or discover patterns and build something on top of it. In our case, the artificial intelligence technology that we focus on is natural language processing or analyzing text generated by people to discover key bits of information about it. So ultimately, you can call it machine learning or you can call it AI. The idea is, do you have uh, the ability to have the computer do some sort of pattern-matching-based process that reproduces a cognitive capability, uh, that people normally implement.
1: Okay. So well, hopefully that's clear enough. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. So when did AI in this process of using machines, uh, in the cognitive sense, when did that begin to work its way into financial institutions and how important would you say AI is to the financial industry? It's huge.
2: But I'll I'll start again by backing off. So the idea of using linear regression models to do analytics and, and support decision making is absolutely not new. It's probably a couple of decades old in the finance industry. And so the idea of applying, let's just say, math or advanced math linear regression to the bits of information that are numeric Financial bits of information in finance is sort of obvious, and people have been using it for a long time. Mm-hmm. What's new in the last, I'll say, decade or slightly less than a decade is the idea – is essentially centers around alt data or alternative data, which often sometimes is purely numeric but often is not. And in order to use this information effectively, you need to have some tools or some set of tools. One set of tools that has been used for a while is have people read this alternative data. That's clearly been going on for a hundred, uh, maybe even more, maybe even a thousand years in terms of trying to understand things that would impact financial decision-making. What we can do now, given that the information, this alternative data is readily available in an automated fashion, that it can be either mined from the internet or purchased over the internet, is, and there's a lot of it. Is use this artificial intelligence suite of techniques to do something useful with it automatically.
0: So, what are some applications then, Steve, in the financial industry? Give us um, maybe a couple of real-world examples. Sure.
2: The uh, area we, the, the general area that we normally deal with is what I refer to as risk analytics. And this is a matter – it's exactly what it sounds like, is doing some sort of uh, analysis, automated analysis of information to help understand what type of risk you have. And the risk that we normally focus on has to do with uh, compliance and, say, counterparty uh, risk, under or KYC, broadly speaking. What do you know about your customers? In the compliance space, there are legal – scriptures saying that you have to know certain things, but let's take the simplest form of that. you have to know whether they appear on a watch list or not. And mm-hmm. if they do, you have to take certain actions. Right. So the, a very, very simple example of this is to know whether the name of a person or an organization who's trying to sign up with, your, with, your, uh, with a new account or trying to do business with your, with your financial institution is on one of these lists. That sounds really easy. At first glance, why can't you just uh, take the name that they gave you and and do a a comparison with the names on the watch list? The reason it's quite a bit harder than that is you have name variation. We're all familiar with this, even if you don't think about it. Names vary. My name is Steve Cohen. I could write it Stephen Cohen. And the very next question you might ask if I say I write my name Stephen Cohen is, is it V or PH? Okay, so right off the bat, I have this really trivial example of three different variations of the same name, and I I write my name. Well, I write my name two of those ways. I never I use the V. Mm-hmm. Um, but two of those ways uh, frequently appear. I might also sign up with just my initial. Again, and each for each of these, you might say, sure, okay, I'll just I'll just write a rule that says if you see the first initial, that's okay. We can um, then we'll assume that it, there's a good chance that S Cohen and Steve Cohen might be the same person. Those are the 5% trivial cases. It gets a lot more complicated than that very quickly. Sure.
1: But it sounds and, to me like you and have and some –
2: sophi... sorry, <laughs> sorry. It just needs much more sophisticated <laughs> solutions to solve. Sorry to talk over No, here. no,
1: no. Not at all. I was just going to say that it sounds to me like you might have some issues opening an account at a bank, Steve. All these different ways with your name. <laughs>
2: Um, and that's, that's only the first part. If you're, if you're in the finance industry, if uh, you say the name Stephen Cohen, a lot of people go straight to a particular, relatively famous Stephen Cohen. I'm I'm not that guy. <laughs> sometimes I wish I were. Sometimes I'm glad I'm not. Uh, and so disambiguating which Stephen Cohen you need. Stephen Cohen is a, for Jewish people is a relatively popular name, um, and there's plenty of there, there are plenty of John Smiths in the world. Uh, and so, knowing which one you're talking about. And this is this you ask for two examples. This is the second example. Uh, in that, aside from just knowing whether the two names match, is there other information you can use to figure out which of this particular name you're talking about? Yes. Uh, easy example uh, George Bush. If I say George Bush, you may either jump to a conclusion about which of the two President George Bushes I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Or you might ask me a question and say, well, do you mean H.W. or W. Right. Right. Perfectly good question. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have a document and you can't ask me that question, then you, you would look around in that document to see if there was other indicators. Those other indicators might say president in 2002. Uh, in right. And you say, oh, OK, I know which president. And I, I know it's George Bush that was. Yes this is the kind of automation, this is the kind of technology we're talking about that can uh, understand, understand a strong word, but use the information contained in a document and say, oh, this is this person. So that's the second half of that risk uh, analytics that I was talking about.
0: You're listening to FinTech Focus. We're talking about machine learning and AI with Steve Cohen, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Basis Technology, a company he co founded in 1995. Steve, your company published a, a great informative ebook called The Honest Guide to AI for Risk. In that ebook, there are descriptions of three things AI can do and also three things AI can't do. Can you give us a quick rundown on each of those? Absolutely. And some of this is going to sound like uh,
2: what, what folks are saying about AI in general. And I think that's actually a super important point in that we're focused on AI for risk analytics and using and doing some of the same things of of modernizing uh, existing processes. So what can AI do? It can help bring KYC process, what I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. the know your customer process, into the 21st century. Uh, It can improve fraud detection and it can make AML cheaper. What do I mean by these? Broadly speaking, this amounts to using these tools to automatically process these vast reams of data that everyone has, right? It's it's a, a commonplace truism that we have these vast amounts of information uh, available to us. What's becoming – and this was true – this has been true for – 20 30 years that information uh, availability has has broadened and, and information generation right people are creating all this information what's changed in the last decade is we now have tools that can do something with it and and that's why we talk about bringing kyc into the 21st century we are what eight, 19 years now 18 and a bit into the into the 21st century we can use these AI tools to automate kyc's processes to improve the fraud detection and make AML cheaper. AML is expensive. I think everyone in the industry knows that. Uh, We we talk about how there's a report uh, estimating the AML costs in just five European markets is something like $85 million. And if you say that to folks in the industry, they shake their heads up and down. Right? There's no surprise. Everyone knows it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. These tools can help They can help by utilizing all this data that's available and by becoming very, very accurate, more accurate than existing processes.
1: So some of the things – those are some of the things that it can do. And I know those things seem to justify AI's usage right there, like, I mean, saving that kind of money and and just the fact that, as you said, I mean, over the last decade – information has increased exponentially that I, I'm not sure I can fathom how this was even done manually, even before the decade when there wasn't such a prevalence of information. So what are some of those things that, that AI is is um, falling a little bit short on at the moment?
2: So the first one, especially is being worked on, we we refer to the black box problem a lot. And this, the first thing that AI can't do well enough is to be explained. This is a, uh, the black, this is a black box problem. The problem is that these numeric, these uh, uh, mathematical models that are built as part of this machine learning toolkit are dense, complicated, and literally are just bunches of numbers uh, that, that are somewhat attached to specific things in the real world, but not completely. So it's very hard, and uh, some in some cases virtually impossible, to say, why did this pattern-matching AI system come to the conclusion it did. Why did the image recognizer decide that this is most likely a cat, right? Uh, I, I like that example because it's really easy to understand and because it's very functional. Mm-hmm. The, the cat recognizers are super powerful and they work. Don't ask me if they're useful, but they're, <laughs> they work. Um, and so why, how, how did this image recognizer recognize that it's a cat? That's a really hard question to ask of one of these. And when you're talking about did it recognize a cat or not, you probably – you're not going to ask that question. But when you talk about why did this resolution system decide that the person contained here is on this watch list, well, the regulator might care to know that. The internal uh, uh, AML person or the actual uh, you know, government uh, regulatory body might ask that question, or God forbid, uh, in a lawsuit you may be asked, "How is it that you know you called my client, uh, you know, a watchlist candidate and you know, a potential terrorist? Uh, you know, what did you base that decision on?" It's a perfectly valid question. AI is not great at that. A lot of a lot of science is going into making that better. I won't go into the techniques, but they're, they're, we're working on it.
1: Many regulatory agencies provide lists in you know, only in Roman characters. And I know that that makes it incredibly difficult for many screening solutions to identify prohibited transactions. So kind of building on what you were just telling us, let's go under the hood a little bit. And can you tell us how AI can help businesses overcome this particular hurdle?
2: Yes. And this is one that we in particular have focused on. The I, I talked before about some of the, the the problems of name variation and gave a very simple example mm-hmm. with my name, and my name Stephen is an is an English language name. If you really want to get into uh, linguistics and history, you might argue that it wasn't originally, but let, let's ignore that. Let's use another really easy to understand example of a name that originated, clearly originated in a non English language. In, and more importantly, in a non English script, a non English writing system. Okay. And I'll just go the most common Arabic name, not trying to pick on anything about uh, uh, Arabic people or the language. It's just a, an easy example to understand, right. and that's Muhammad. Okay. All right. The name Muhammad, when you see it written in an English language, say, uh, article, you can probably uh, list three to five different ways you've seen it written. Is it uh, Muhammad? Right. Muhammad M-U-M-O, one and two and right. And we we have we have, we constructed lists years ago of over a hundred different ways that uh, a a full Arabic name could be written in English or or more precisely in the Latin script in our writing system. The reason for that is because we're taking sounds from one language and we're mapping it onto the sound generating letters in in another language. And English, as we all know, I think, uh, is especially poor at being precise with how we generate sounds from letters, which is why we have so much ambiguity in English. Right. So you wind up with these huge variations. The first order way that companies solve this problem of being able to detect if some guy named Muhammad was on a list, either a watch list or a, a good guy list, whatever list, Uh, was to try to express all of these variations and to sort of write them all out. Here's 100 variations. Oh, wait, here's another three. Let's just add those to our list. You very quickly have two things happen. One is you have a massive variation list, and that's just one name. But you quickly discover that because of confusion and spelling errors and what have you, you can't list them all. It's not actually possible. You'll, You'll never get there. Uh, you have a Zeno's paradox of name gender of name variant generation. You can always think you're getting halfway there, and you're still never quite there to get every single possible variation. So, what do you do to solve this problem? This is what we confronted uh, about uh, a little over a dozen years ago. We said we need to build a system that is compliant, that is intelligent about how it thinks about how these name variations occur, that has some understanding of the linguistics of the originating language, in this case Arabic, but we also can do Chinese uh, uh, names, Japanese names, whatever, and understands the phonology, where phonology is the sound of how things work in that language, to be able to, to look at the two names as they might be written either in English, to be able to say that the Muhammad version and the Mohammed version are the same name, or equally to say that, Muhammad, as written in Arabic script, can be compared to the name as as any one of those hundred different variations as written in Latin script. And those techniques, we have a variety of techniques built into that. That's that's why it's AI and not just ML or machine learning, right? We're implementing a solution around these machine learning techniques, that understands the ways these things vary and can do intelligent pattern matching and can pick up things it's never seen before. Because it has some concept of the shape of the pattern.
0: You're listening to FinTech Focus. We're exploring the impact of machine learning and AI on risk and compliance with Steve Cohen, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Basis Technology.
1: So if I'm understanding you correctly, so you're saying that you can essentially teach a machine to pick out the differences in in language based on phrenology, like the the sound of the language. Like that that's completely fascinating to me.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I think it's fascinating, too. Uh, Yes, that's one of the dimensions. We we look at a number of dimensions of name variation. I didn't mention before things like nicknames. Nicknames are harder, and and generally you do need to have express lists. So um, Andy versus Andrew. Right. You're not going to build a model easily. that's going to pick that up because that's
1: just a nickname. Yeah. An even better example is Jack for, for Jonathan. I was going to say, yeah, it's right. like and nicknames Jack- are not unnecessarily based on the letters of the name. Like in some instances, they're basically idioms. Like how does, how do you teach a machine to pick those up? That's crazy to me. That, as I say, that that's a case where we do need to have lists. Sure.
2: And so our system is a suite of different tools, and we try to solve problems. we we We're not an AI company per se. We don't have an AI model that we're trying to apply to everything. We're focused on solving linguistic problems, and sometimes the right way to solve some part of the problem really is just to have it, figure out what that list is. Now, it's possible that you could build a system that would figure out nicknames based on a large corpus of data. That's not something we've actually done, but you could imagine something that would scour a lot of name data and try to... Uh, do some pattern matching to figure out whether two names are related via nickname relationships.
1: That's impressive.
2: I'm making that up, but we haven't done that. <laughs> it would be a fun.
1: It would be a really fun, uh, you know, PhD project. Jot it down <laughs> on the to-do list. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You, you went to exactly. MIT, right? So if anybody can do it, I, I have faith that you can get it done.
2: Oh, I'm not capable of doing those things anymore. But we do have people who can. <laughs>
0: Steve, I wanted to return to uh, something you touched on earlier, uh, fraud detection, uh, which is something that AI is, is uh, great with. One, one aspect of fraud detection is false positives. False positives are a huge hurdle to overcome in fraud detection. What would you say is the main consequence of a massive number of false positives?
2: That's really easy. Money, mm-hmm. cost. Yeah, when talking about compliance screening, every every positive you have to do something with. Or mm-hmm. You have to have some – you have to file a SAR. You have to do some some proactive – uh, response and so false positives simply cost money, right? And and the financial institutions we talk to are obviously everyone wants to would love to have false negatives and false positives both decrease to zero, and we'd love to join in the process of trying to you know, to target that. Um, the interesting conversation we've had with a number of institutions, with many institutions, is how, how do you balance between the the risk of the false negative where you have uh, uh, regulatory and, um, and other risks associated with making a mistake and doing business with someone you're not supposed to, mm-hmm. um, and the false positive risk, which is the direct measurable cost. Okay. That's the easier one for them to understand. So most conversations with financial institutions start with false positives are killing us. When well, you have false positive rates of 85% and higher, and that's, that's what ACAMS every year, that's the number that, that you hear everyone talking about. Hmm. Um, that's obviously a lot of money is going into uh, doing investigations that don't, shouldn't need to be done if you have more information available to avoid the false positives.
1: How do you think AI will continue to grow and evolve over the next decade or so?
2: Uh, excellent question. I think it's on the minds of many people, and in fact, uh, you know, my response is going to be based on as much reading what what the developments look like and what others are doing as, as what we're doing. Uh, I think that we're going through, a, I guess, a hype cycle-type curve with AI, and that's an interesting analogy to use because AI has been through it twice before. And we all, everyone talks about the AI winters, and we've gone through effectively two AI winters in decades past. Uh, so the third point I'll make is I don't think we will go into another AI winter. I strongly believe that uh, we're not going to see massive disappointment that AI isn't living up to its promises this time, uh, even though there's a lot of really lofty promises, because I think AI is working now. These techniques we're talking about, both on the enterprise level and on the consumer level, are, are functional. They they actually work. You can talk to your car. There, there's going to be ups and downs in how AI is both perceived and utilized and monetized. But I don't think we'll head back into a winter because, as I said, you can talk to your car and it knows you want to make a phone call. Uh, because these systems that we and other companies sell – uh, to use these modeling approaches to reduce costs and make a uh, make AML more effective, they work. Yeah, and the list goes on.
0: That's pretty exciting that we uh, we don't foresee another winter coming. Uh,
2: it is to me. It is to me. And and I said before we didn't get back to that part of the question, but I said there's some aspects to um, the what AI can't do that mm-hmm. we're changing that are scary, and and one of them right now AI can't do a high level cognitive task of of actual decision making. right, right? It, it, I, I, I call it pattern matching on purpose. right? It's really doing a super sophisticated pattern matching, uh, and it's doing a lot a lot of pattern matching real fast, which is a simulated cognition. AI right now is being perceived, I think, both in a completely uh, split brain way. There's the, wow, isn't this amazing? uh Alexa's very effective or 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 Siri's very effective. I love the fact that uh I can just say, you know, Alexa what's the weather for tomorrow and it tells me. Mm-hmm. And people love that. On the other hand, we have a lot of fear that's sort of maybe epitomized by uh you know, are we in a rise of the killer robots uh scenario. <laughs> yes, is, please is talk to us early, about that. <laughs> Well, see, I am not going to complain
1: to
0: be an expert on that. I will give you a, an opinion or two. Please do. Laura's
1: very um, afraid I'm, of that. Well, see, we're gonna go. We're gonna go behind the scenes here, a minute on this podcast because Laura and I had a little bet going that she thought for sure that I was going to drop a Skynet reference at some point in this interview and talk about Terminator Two, and I did not. I expect my check.
0: But I'm terrible. Venmo,
1: PayPal, whatever you got. Yeah, she thought for sure because I'm a paranoid crazy man when it comes to some of this. And she thought for sure, it was like, Oh my God, you're going to talk about Skynet in the second question. I said, no, give me, give me some credit. Let's put a little money on this. Cause I think I can hold out. And you're the one who asked about the rise of the robots before I did. Thank you very much. You definitely owe him a lunch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All
2: right. So, um, you know, this, so this is coming from a guy who I, we have an Alexa device sitting in front of me, unplugged. I plug it in long enough to call my mother-in-law and unplug it.
1: Um, <laughs> Wait do you do you do you unplug it before she can actually get a hold of you or do you wait till after the call is done? That's the key. No, no, no. I, I like my mother-in-law. And sorry, Ma, um, if you're listening to actually, this,
2: us, <laughs> 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 we bought it for we bought it for her because um, <laughs> now I'm really on a tangent. But if you got time, <laughs> um, to me the the Alexa is the ultimate I fallen and I can't get up device. Oh yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm.
2: right. I wanted her to have it, and we haven't deployed it to her place yet. But it's sitting here, and, and it's cool. I, you know, I'm the first to say it's very cool. But the idea that Amazon can listen to everything I say bothers me, and sure. the idea that Google's Nest could, you know, could listen to everything I say also bothers me. But so broadly speaking, almost every, I think every, or almost every prior introduction of new technology has not led to uh, replacing, you know, to people losing jobs directly. Uh, at, at, in the way that people were afraid of at the time, right? right. And the technophiles of the world. Uh, so Andreessen, who doesn't tweet anymore, but back a couple of years ago when uh, P. Marka was all over the, the Twitterverse, um, was making this point constantly. This is one of his favorite themes that everyone's always scared of new technology, but it doesn't, uh, it, it generally has not led to uh, the displacements. That it, it, it led, led to shifts, but not uh, massive displacement. I, I want to believe that's true. I have, personally have some concerns that it's not. I have some concerns that it's not. I think we're already seeing displacement, and some of the income disparity we're seeing is or the decrease of the middle class is because there's no lower middle class blue-collar option – or fewer lower middle-class, blue-collar options available. And what happens when these cognitive tasks, the cognitive tasks, say accounting, accounting, there's many accountants in the world, and I'm not picking on accountants, but uh, what happens when uh, accounting becomes something where automation can do 80% of it? That's a whole lot of white-collar jobs. What do those people do? I I have some concerns too.
0: Scariest movie of all time to me, Wally. That's... I'm, yeah, that's just that movie is terrifying it, 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 yeah. terrifying. So uh I I, I I I agree I never actually saw it but people have don't. described it to me and yes.
1: <laughs> we appreciate you coming on with us and 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 taking us through like this is a a very you know high level at moments but we appreciate you going in depth for us and, and explaining how this process works because I mean obviously it's it's a huge deal in our industry and um just given given the climate of business nowadays like it, so many people are doing business internationally obviously and that that's such a big part of of an organization's budget and its revenue and um explaining to us how uh, machine learning can help keep these organizations compliant. is really fascinating to us, and it's great information. and Thank you for coming on. We we really appreciate you taking us through this.
2: Awesome, awesome. I appreciate. Look, you know, the, the getting the right questions, really good questions, is a great way to have a great conversation. And I think this was a. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, oh, good. good.
1: Good. And that is it for this week's episode of FinTech Focus. Thanks again to Steve Cohen for talking with us. And we appreciate all of you for listening to us. To dive deeper into the world of AI, visit Basis Technologies website at basistech.com and download a copy of The Honest Guide to AI for Risk. It's a great read.
0: Make sure to subscribe to FinTech Focus wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if there's a topic you would like us to discuss on the show, let us know on Twitter at CSISolutions.com or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash CSI Solutions. See you next time.